morning, church. I love you. I'm so incredibly thankful for you. If you know our family, you probably know that, like many of you, but I realize not all of you, we're pretty big Rangers fans. I, I, I promised myself I wouldn't talk too much about uh, the Rangers winning the World Series, uh, but my, my wife especially is the big Rangers fan in the family, maybe between her and my oldest son, I'm not sure which one would win that contest, but it's been interesting over the last couple of weeks, many of you and, and people that we haven't heard from in years, people in other states have been texting Holly to say congratulations, and that seemed strange to me in the beginning because I thought, you know, I mean, she didn't go to spring training. She, she never once played a game with the Rangers. I mean, she, she's not actually on the team. You guys know that, right? You know, you're telling her congratulations as if she won. But the more I thought about that, the more I thought, actually, it's true. That when you're associated deeply with someone, even if you didn't do the work, even if you weren't on the field, their victory is your victory. She, she, didn't, she didn't play, I didn't play, you didn't play, you didn't work, but when you, when you are associated with, when you believe in, then, then what's true of the head is true of the whole. That, that's an incredibly important principle and concept that I think will help us today as we go through today's lesson, that what's true of the head is true of the whole. What's true of the head of an organization is true of the whole of the organization. What's true of the head of a river is true of the whole of the river. What's true of the head of the body is true of the whole of the body. That even though there were nine guys on the field, their victory was everyone's victory that was associated with them. And when we talk about Jesus, what's true of the head is true of the whole. That if you are connected to Jesus, if you are, the way Paul puts it, is in Christ. If you are in Christ, if you are in Jesus, if you are in the beloved, then what is true of the head is true of the whole. What's true of Jesus is true of you. His life is your life. His resurrection is your resurrection. His glorification is your glorification. What is true of him, because he won the victory, is true of you because his victory is your victory. This, this month, we're, we're, we're just feasting this month. We're, we're looking at the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, and we're feasting on these great truths just taking time to soak it in and to realize how incredibly blessed we are that we can, even though we haven't worked, we haven't earned it, we haven't merited it, we weren't on the field, we weren't nailed to a cross, we can say we are victorious because what's true of the head is true of the Whole. We're going to say that a lot this morning. You're going to get tired of me saying it. But what's true of the head is true of the whole. What's true of Jesus is now true of us. So we're going to feast on that reality this morning. And I want to start by looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, the, the last few verses of the first chapter of Ephesians, because this is Paul's prayer 
What Paul is praying that the church at Ephesus, and not just the church at Ephesus, but all Christians know about God and about themselves and about Jesus, this is his prayer. And I was, I was thinking just now, one of the elders and I, Alan Carson and I, we went and visited some of our folks over at Christian Care uh, this week. Uh, and we sat and visited with, with several people, but one in particular was Ron Warpole. And, and those of you that know Ron know that he has preached the gospel for a long time. He's been a missionary all over the world. And even though right now he's, he's constrained to his chair, he's still preaching the gospel. And he's still praying for you. And I've, I felt obligated to, to share that with you, that your brother Ron right now is praying for you, and his prayer for you is similar to Paul's prayer for the church. Here's what Paul says. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, this is what I'm praying for you, that the eyes of your hearts are enlightened so that you will know what you have, so that you will know what you're a part of, so you will know what God has done for you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now, pay attention to that phrase because we're going to come back to that idea. But this is what God has done for Jesus, that he's raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. The audacity to believe that this is true, that the son of a carpenter from the backwater town of Nazareth has been raised up by the one God and has been enthroned above, above all rule, above all authority, above all power, above all dominion, and above every name that is named? How do you think Caesar would feel if he heard that? That we have the audacity to believe that our our rabbi, our friend, our older brother is the king of kings and the Lord of lords because it's true. We have the audacity to believe it because it's true. And Paul is praying desperately that these Christians might believe that it's true that they are victorious because he is victorious. That they reign because he reigns. Because what's true of the head is true of the whole. 
that this is true of them because it's true of him. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him, gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Church, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. And Paul is praying that the church actually believes the gospel. Because you can come to worship and not believe the gospel. You can call yourself a Christian all day long and not really believe the gospel. If you're going to believe this audacious truth that Jesus really is in charge of the world, that Jesus reigns as king right now, presently, then you're going to have to pray that you believe that reality. If that was true of them, isn't that true of us? That if Paul believed, in order for them to really believe this, I'm going to have to pray about it. I'm going to have to desperately pray that the eyes of their heart are enlightened, that they might believe this truth. Do you pray that about yourself and about your brothers and sisters? That we believe that this is true? Because this is the gospel. This is the gospel that God is putting all things under the authority of his son. That's what he says, isn't it? That God is putting all things under the authority of his son and that he is filling the whole world with his presence. God is putting all things under the authority of Jesus and filling the world with his presence. And the church, the community of people who are loyal to King Jesus, is the body of Jesus. The fullness of him. Do you know that? That's what we are. We are the fullness of him. Him who is filling all things. So the presence of God is one day going to fill the whole cosmos. And right now he's begun in us. We are to be his fullness. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And Paul's prayer is that they might know that this is true. He goes on, chapter 2, verse 1. And you, you, church, the fullness of him who fills all in all, you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among, among whom we all once lived. Paul puts himself in that category, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Christians are not Christians because they're good people. Let me say that again. Christians are not Christians because they're good people. Christians aren't Christians because they're smart people. Christians aren't Christians because they're religious people. Christians are Christians because they were in need of saving and God saved them and they received that salvation. Christians are broken people. Christians were dead people. Christians were following the spirit of the evil one that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We all followed that course. That was our way of life. That was the path that we were on and we would still be on if not for him. Not because we got our act together and straightened up our life, cleaned up our act, but because of what he has done for us. 
We're not Christians because we're good people. We're Christians because of what he's done for us. And it's good for us to reflect on where we were and where we still would be if not for his grace. Listen to some of these phrases he uses. Children of wrath. We were acting in a way that rightfully would draw the wrath of God. That's how we were living. Every single one of us. Slaves to our passions and desires. Following our passions and desires. Now, we live in a culture now that says, oh, no, 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 that's what you're supposed to do. Follow your passions and desires. And Paul says, well, that's what we did. And it wasn't working out so great for us. And it was drawing the wrath of God upon us. But thankfully, we've been rescued from that life. Followers of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were all following the crowd. And that crowd was empowered by, animated by, the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the evil one. And he begins this whole section by saying that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What do dead people need? What do dead people need? Dead people don't need a set of rules to follow, do they? What good will a set of rules do for dead people? Not much good. Dead people need a miracle. Amen? Dead people need a miracle. The only thing that can make a dead person not a dead person anymore is a miracle. We, God didn't give us a set of rules to follow. Say, hey, here's a new set of rules. If you just follow these rules, then you'll save yourself. But sometimes that's how we talk about Christianity, isn't it? We talk about it as if God gave us a system to follow by which we can save ourselves. Dead people don't need a system to follow. Dead people need a miracle to bring them to life. God didn't just give us a set of steps to follow, a system to follow. He gave us a Savior to follow. And it's that Savior and the miracle that He has done that what is true of the head can now be true of the whole. What is true of him can now be true of us. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see how desperately Paul wants them to understand this? Because if you don't get this, then none of the rest of it matters. You can, you can come to church every Sunday. You can sing the songs. You can pray the prayers. You can, you can look like you're getting your act together. But if you don't get this, then you don't get Jesus. And you don't get God. That it was God because of his rich mercy, because of his great love that he loved us and he has made us alive together with Christ. That what's true of the head is true of the whole. That because we are united with Jesus, because we are trusting in Jesus, not because we got up there on the cross, not because we did the work, not because we sacrificed, not because we worked, but because he did, his victory is our victory. So we could say, we've won. We're victorious. We're alive. 
Because he has been brought to life, you have been brought to life. You were dead. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You didn't just need a new set of rules. You needed a new savior. So that when he was brought to life in him, in him, in Christ, you would be brought to life. His resurrection is your resurrection. His life is your life. His ascension is your ascension. His glorification is your glorification. So that because he's not dead anymore, we're not dead anymore. So if you could say about your team, we've won. Yes, yes, that's true. We've won. But even more so, in Christ, we can say, we've won. We're victorious. We are now alive. Verse 6, that he's raised us up with him, raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? That he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not he will, he has. This is already true of us because what's true of the head is true of the whole. Because Jesus has been raised up and he's been seated at the right hand of God, guess what? So have you. If you are in Christ Jesus, you could say, we have been raised up. We are seated at the right hand of God. We rule. We reign. We are victorious because his victory is your victory. His ascension is your ascension. His glorification is your glorification. What is true of him, because he earned it, is true of you because he gave it to you by his grace and his mercy. If you are in him, if you are trusting in him, if you are believing in him, if you've given your loyalty and your allegiance to this king, then what is true of the king is true of the king's people. It's your victory. You, right now, are seated with him in the heavenly places. You are victorious because your older brother reigns at the right hand of God. Your Savior reigns at the right hand of God. Your King reigns at the right hand of God. You are victorious. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's good, isn't it? In the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace God is just getting started. He's just getting started. He can't wait in the ages to come to shower you with his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. That one is coming to Jesus because of his nature and because of his victory is coming to you because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his love. You get to inherit all of the kindness and all of the blessings and all of the inheritance that's coming to Jesus because of his nature and what he merits because you're associated with Jesus. Because when you were baptized, you were united with him. His death became your death. His resurrection became your resurrection. His life became your life. His ascension to the right hand of God became your ascension to the heavenly places. 
so that what is true of the head is true of the whole. And God's just getting started. That for eternity future, he is going to bless you and bless you and bless you and bless you and bless you. He is going to demonstrate just how good and gracious and loving and merciful he is toward you. Not, not because you're all that smart. You're smart, but not because you're all that smart. Not because you're all that good. Not because you're all that religious. But because of what Jesus has done. Because his victory is your victory. He says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the what of God, church? One more time, it's the what of God? It's the gift. Salvation is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God's grace is the means of our salvation. It is a gift. What do you do with a gift? You receive a gift. You don't earn a gift. In fact, if you try to earn a gift, if somebody says, here, let me give you this. I want to give you this because I love you. I want to give you this because I'm a loving person. I want to give you this because I just love to shower people with the riches of my blessings. And you said, oh, oh, uh, let, me, let me see how much money I got on me. How much, uh, how much is that going to cost? Or, or uh, let me go to work for you. I'll work for you for a week or two or three. Let me, let me try to pay that back, the gift that you've given me. What are, you, what are you doing to the person who gave you that gift? You're insulting them, aren't you? It's an insult. When try, somebody tries to give you a gift and you say, let me try to earn that. Let me try to work that off. Let me try to merit that in some way. Paul wants you to understand. He wants the church at Ephesus to understand that if you are saved, the only way to be saved is by grace. God is a loving God. He is a generous God. He is a merciful God. And he wants to save you. And he wants you to recognize that your salvation is not your doing. It is his. Because there's two ways we can go with this. If we think it's our doing, on the one hand, we will beat ourselves up unmercifully because we'll think, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You haven't done enough. Of course you haven't done enough. What in the world could you possibly do to merit inheriting everything that Jesus is going to inherit? What in the world could you do to merit being part of the covenant family of God? How exactly would you earn that? You can't. So if you think, I, I haven't done enough to earn my salvation, you're absolutely right. But don't let that stop you from worshiping God because it's a gift. And then on the other hand, those that think that they have earned it, well, I've done everything I was told to do. Pat ourselves on the back. We boast and say, well, I've been a good person. I've done a lot of really good things in my life. I, I've always been very religious. I've, I've said my prayers. I've come to church. I've, said, I've sung the songs. And, and you really think that that merits being part of the covenant family of God? God wants you to understand, this is not your doing. It's his. Receive it with gratitude. That's what you do with a gift. 
You receive it with gratitude. And what's more, he says that we are saved by grace through what? Faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And that word faith, we're going to spend a lot of time, if the Lord wills, next year talking about this word faith. Because faith is loyalty. Faith is allegiance. Faith is commitment. Specifically, we're talking about a king. That you are given this gift because the giver is generous and you receive this gift through loyalty, through allegiance, through commitment, by committing yourself to Jesus and saying, I'm with you. I don't care who likes it. I don't care who doesn't like it. I don't care what anybody says about it. I don't care what the consequences are. I'm with Jesus. And Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. And not because you've earned it, not because you've deserved it, not because you did a lot of good works, not because you're smart, not because you're strong, not because you're religious, but because you say, I'm with Jesus. And you're baptized into him. And you confess him. I'm with him. He says, I'm with you. And whatever is true of me is now true of you. And whatever is mine because of nature and because of my, who I am now is true of you because of grace. And all of that becomes yours because you had the audacity to throw your lot in with King Jesus. You had the audacity to say, I'm with him. Whatever he has, whatever he is, I want to be associated with that. I want to be where he is. I want to do what he does. And when you have that sort of faith in Jesus, then what's true of the head is true of the whole body. And all of his becomes all of yours. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. Sometimes we focus a lot of attention on workmanship, like we are his masterpiece, and we think, oh, yes. And it's true. We are his masterpiece, and that's good. But notice it is, we are his workmanship. You are not your own workmanship. You did not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. If you are saved, if you are in a right covenant relationship with God, it's not because you worked really hard on yourself. It's because he has done a great work in you. You are, we are his workmanship. He created us in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Good works. And so thereby, even the good works, even the good works that you do, you didn't. You didn't think them up. That wasn't your idea. It was his. You don't even get to take credit for having the idea. Oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to help this widow. I'm going to help this orphan. I'm going to help these people. I'm going to be kind to those people. I'm going to, I'm even going to love my enemies. None of that was your idea. Oh no, you're supposed to do it. You must do it. You must walk in these good works, but not because you thought of it. Not because you're, you're good enough to think of it, but because he prepared those good works ahead of time for you to walk in them. You are his workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus for these good works. So go do them. Go do them. Go be religious. 
Care for the widows. Care for the orphans. Keep yourself unstained from the world. But know that when you're doing them, when you're living this out, you're just responding to the good news. In fact, we could put it this way. Good works. Good works are a response of grateful faith to the good news. Good works are a response of grateful faith to the good news. They're not an effort to try to earn our salvation. You can't. Good works, whatever those good works are, caring for people that need caring for, looking out for the hurting and the marginalized, taking care of our neighbors, taking care of one another, all of these things are a grateful faith response to the good news. You know, the world is full of religions, isn't it? The world is full of systems by which people are trying to connect with and appease their God. The world is full of religious systems, different ways that people are trying to approach their God. But Christianity is not, first and foremost, a religion like that. Christianity is first and foremost a, an understanding of this fundamental reality that Jesus is king. Christianity is an understanding that Jesus is king, that Jesus is victorious, that Jesus has conquered sin and death, that Jesus reigns and rules over all things, that God is bringing all things under his feet, and that God is filling the world with his own presence. That's the good news. The good news is that God is a gracious, merciful, loving God, and he wants to take away all of our sin and bring us into his family and he wants us to be the fullness of Christ. And we, we respond to that in faith. Not, not because by doing so we've earned or merited anything. But simply because we believe it's true. Do you believe it's true? Do you believe that he is victorious? And only because he is victorious can you be victorious in him. Do you believe that by throwing your lot in with King Jesus, by swearing to him your exclusive loyalty and allegiance, by being committed to him, that what is true of him now becomes true of you? Do you believe that? And if you believe that, then walk in the good works that he has prepared for you to do, knowing that even your good works are simply a response of faith, grateful faith, responding to the good news. And maybe there's somebody here this morning, and maybe for the first time in your whole life, you're ready to respond to the good news, to trust that Jesus' victory over death can be your victory over death, that because he lives, if you unite yourself to him in baptism, you will live, that because he has been exalted to the place of glory and honor. In him, you too will be exalted to the place of glory and honor. And maybe you're ready to respond to that good news by putting your faith in Jesus and being baptized into him. Maybe you made that decision a long time ago. Maybe you've strayed away from the good news and haven't been responding to the good news in grateful faith. And maybe you need to recommit yourself to Jesus. 
Or maybe you just need your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray with you and pray for you. Our elders would love to do that this morning. Or you could come forward now. Let's together we stand and sing this song.